the Wallaces are and of course the Meads and Andy got a vision of his family in about 20 years <laughs> and uh, so it's good to have you guys here Charlie and Luann and Chris and Amy and David and Anna we, pre- we just love you guys and um, wow thank you Lord Daddy, we just love you. Thank you for the blessings of family. Family in the kingdom, Lord. It's a good thing. Well, I just want to share with you for a brief and amazing few minutes. And uh, I want to talk about the joy of obedience. And... uh, I used to not think of obedience that way, but the Lord has shown me from the first service until now that there really is <laughs> there really is a great deal of joy in obedience, as difficult as it is. I want to read to you a couple of uh, testimonies from people who have been obedient recently to the prompting of the Lord. Um, the first one is from Pam Jolly, and uh, she sent me this report this week. And she says that uh, last week I prayed for a lady at the YMCA in the ladies' dressing room. There were people around dressing. We had all been in the pool. She told me that her shoulder had been bothering her for two months and she had calcium deposits that were causing tears in the rotator cuff. She was a little surprised that I wanted to pray right then, but she agreed. I quickly asked the Holy Spirit to come with healing virtue to dissolve the calcium and heal the cuff. That was last Thursday. She could not wait to tell me Monday that she was better. She said that Friday her shoulder was better and she had no pain all weekend. She was so excited. And Pam says, I was too. <laughs> so praise God. That's awesome um, when we're obedient to God and just do little simple things like that as we go praying for people. Some of you guys prayed for a quest that was put on the prayer chain by uh, Joe and Kim Sheasley, and uh, this was back in early July. Joe requested prayer for a co-worker's wife. Um, uh, she had a knee problem. She was healed of that and didn't have to have surgery, but recently, back in July, she found a lump in her breast and it was diagnosed as cancer. And uh, so they went to the doctor this week for more tests, results, and options. And uh, she was in her, she's in her 20s and has two small children. She's not handling this very well and uh, just asked for prayer, obviously, for her and her family. Well, a couple of weeks later, they got a report back that uh, they went to the doctor for more tests and there was no cancer, just infection. And uh, yeah... So she's expected to make a full recovery and be back to work really soon. So, you know, it's just amazing what God can do when we just just step out in obedience, as difficult as it may be at times. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid how difficult it was to obey my parents. And uh, <laughs> I see that same stubborn will in my own children. <laughs> um Sarah Ruth and I thought we were brilliant parents until the third child, and uh, <laughs> he's a great kid, but, you know, it's like obedience is a difficult thing. It goes against our, our nature, 
you know, to obey. And uh, even probably still today, some of us, you know, maybe your boss asks you to do something that, you know, you don't really want to do. And there's this little thing that rises up in you, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do it because the boss said so, but <laughs> yeah, hopefully anyway. Uh, or maybe, you know, it's a, it's a family member or something like that. Obedience is just a really tough thing. So a couple weeks ago, well, first of all, I want to say that last week, Byron felt like gave a really profound message on uh, preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel according to what the Bible says, not according to felt needs or what people, we think people are going to respond to. And if you weren't here for that, I'd highly recommend going to our website and listening to that message if you have the ability to do that or we can make some copies. But um, it was just a really good message. And uh, a couple, a few weeks ago, I had given a message on uh, the crisis of faith and uh, the crisis of belief, rather. And uh, there, here's a couple of things I just want to remind you of that I mentioned. First of all, that when God speaks to you, revealing what He's about to do, that that, is your, that revelation is your invitation to get involved in what He's doing. Okay? Also, that God's invitation for you to work with Him always leads you to a crisis of belief. And uh, that requires two things. It requires faith in God, and it requires action. Four timeless principles that Henry Blackaby uses in his book. Number one, an encounter with God requires faith. Number two, encounters with God are God-sized. Three, what you do in response to God's invitation reveals what you really believe about God, despite what you say. And fourth, true faith requires action. So again, if we truly believe God is who He says He is, and we truly believe that He can do what He says He can do then we will act upon that belief as Pam has done and as many other people have done. Any word that you receive from God that's not followed by action becomes an area of disobedience in your life. It becomes an area of disobedience in your life. Following God requires absolute surrender and complete submission to the will of God for your life. Blackaby says, whenever you identify a place where you refuse to allow His Lordship, that is a place He will go to work. He's interested in absolute surrender, whether that be marriage, finances, your career, what have you. And finally, you cannot stay where you are and go with God. To go with God, it requires an adjustment. And uh, that's where obedience comes in. Adjusting to God requires obedience. Um, and, you know, we all know what obedience is and why it's important. And so this morning I just want to uh, talk about three kingdom principles about obedience um, that will really cause you to experience God in a full way, in the way that He has for you. So um, if you'll just bear with me here for a few minutes, and I just want to look at a couple of scriptures on this. Obedience requires three things. First of all, it requires an adjustment, okay? And there's three parts to that. Number one, obedience is extremely costly. We're going to look at that first. Second, obedience is not only costly to you, but it's costly to those around you. And third, obedience requires total, total dependence on God to work through you and to work in you. Okay? So let's look at number one. Look at, look at Luke 4, I'm sorry, Luke 14, 25. Obedience is extremely costly. 
If you don't believe me, let's look at this. Jesus turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say you might be able to or there might be a loophole or, you know, if you'll just kind of not, you know, do part of this, then maybe you can. No, he says, if you don't hate these people, can you imagine standing there and Jesus is talking to you and he's saying this to you? What would your response be? Well, well, what do you mean, Lord? What, 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 what do you mean I've got to hate my family? I've got to hate, I gotta hate these children? I, what does that mean? It's a hard word. Jesus did not present an easy gospel. John six fifty three, Jesus said to them, again, imagine that Jesus is sitting here talking to you, and He says, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth, Jeremy. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. What? What's Jesus talking about here? <laughs> drink the blood? See into the vampire thing? <laughs> you know, that's kind of weird. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Your for, you remember that story of the Israelites getting manna from heaven? They were out of food, grumbling and complaining. They had just been delivered out of slavery. But here they were, stuck, starving. God said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send down manna. But see, those people died. But Jesus was saying, that Old Testament story was meant to be an illustration for who I am. You see, I reveal what, was stay, what happened back then. I am a revelation of that. However, on hearing this, many of the disciples said, well, you know, this is a hard teaching. <laughs> Maybe you were thinking that last week when Byron was talking about the gospel and the way that it's presented in our day and age and that sort of thing. This is a hard teaching, Byron. I don't, I don't know if this could be right. Who can accept it? Aware of that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Skipping down to verse 66, it says that from this time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. You see, there's a cost to following Jesus. And that's not something that a lot of people in our society today want to count that cost. But in order to obey the Father, in order to obey the voice of God, it will cost something. And not only to us as individuals, but also to us as a church. It can cost us our comfort. It could cost us our reputation in the community. It could cost us prestige. It could cost us... You know, whatever. All that we have here, it could cost us that if that's what the Lord desired. 
Paul, you know, was a guy that had a lot of prestige, notoriety. He was a big name preacher in the synagogue. A lot of people knew about Paul. And uh, he was uh, very well respected and well learned and um, was an intellectual. And uh, he had an encounter with the living God. He realized that this dead religion that he was murdering believers of Christ to defend was not true. He counted the cost and gave it all up. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Sounds like a good movie. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast the things that show my weakness. Not in my strength, but in my weakness. That was a song that we sung this morning. That's what Paul boasted in. He did not boast in his, uh, his diplomas, his accolades, all the things that he knew. He boasted in that he was counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. What do you place value on? The train that's coming in for you that has these gifts might have the gift of suffering. The gift of suffering? I don't think I want that gift. <laughs> but Paul said that this was the most valuable thing that he could ever receive was the value of his weakness. You see, he realized that it was going to cost him something to be a follower of Jesus, and he gave up what he had in order to do that. Secondly, obedience is not only costly to you, but it's costly to those around you. Think about Moses. God called him from the burning bush and said, Go back and deliver your people from Egypt. So he goes back reluctantly. He goes in there. He tells the Pharaoh, Here's what I'm here for. Let my people go. Oh, yeah, okay, sure, Mo, no problem. Is that what happened? No. What was the first thing to happen? They increased their labor by double. And they beat some of, the, some of them as well. <laughs> Increase the floggings. Well, thanks a lot, Moses. We appreciate it. We know that you're the prince of Egypt and everything, but you just got our workload increased by twice as much, and you're getting some of us beat down. It cost those that were around Moses. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. It cost her so much. I mean, the agony that no mother would ever want to go through to see your son being subjected to such torture, torment, and execution right in front of your eyes. It costs Jesus' mother a great deal for Him to do what He did. He was a real man, you know? He was a real man. And she was a real mother. 
Paul, all the things that he went through, some of his friends got drug along in that mess. Some of them were beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, flogged, all of those things, killed. It costs quite a lot in order to uh, be with Paul. Third, it'll cost it'll cost you, it'll cost those around you, but obedience requires total dependence on God to work through you. Total dependence on God to work through you. Have you ever been, um, have you ever tried to do something for God and it didn't work? Or at best, it lasted a short time? Paula, you're smiling. Or have you ever been led by someone else to do something that just didn't work or kind of, you know, floundered? Well, there could be many reasons for that, but um, a total dependence on God is the biggest thing. Blackaby says you must remain in an intimate relationship with God in order for Him to complete His work through you. You must depend on God alone. The adjustment requires moving from doing work for God according to your abilities, your gifts, your likes and dislikes, and your goals, to being totally dependent on God and His working and His resources. This is a major adjustment. It's never easy to make. So all you goal setters, God may come for your goals. (laughs) If you depend on anyone else or anything else, to, for success, you'll be asking for failure in kingdom terms. You could gather a huge crowd. Your ministry could be big. Your business could be big. All of these things could look great. But if it's not founded for the right reason and led by God Himself, you know, it could be limited success at best in the kingdom perspective. Um, let me just... Read you a few verses. John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. First uh, Corinthians fifteen. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. A couple of verses from Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will stand. As I have purposed, says the Lord, so it will stand. Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, obedience requires dependence upon God to carry things out. Obedience is our choice. But the fruit of obedience, which are the results of our choice, depends on God. He brings the fruit. Now, so if you've ever been, tried to do something for God and it just didn't work, or didn't work out, or whatever the case is, I just want to um, address that with a, a parable. It's called the bus ministry parable. It's not in your Bible, but just bear with me. There was once a church that asked, Oh God, how do you want to reach our community through us and build a great church? God led them to start a bus ministry. 
and provide transportation for children and adults to come to church. They did what God told them to do and their church grew into a great church. Amazing success. They were flattered when people all over the country began to ask, what are you doing to grow so rapidly? They wrote a book on how to build great churches through a bus ministry. Thousands of churches began to buy buses to reach their communities, feeling that the method was the key to growth. Later, many sold those buses. They're saying, it didn't work for us. It never works. He works. It's not in the method, folks. It's in the person. His name is Jesus. If you want to have a successful marriage, you can read a few books. might not be a bad idea. They might have some good principles. But you need to go to Jesus first and foremost and say, Lord, what do I need to do to have a great marriage? If you want to raise godly children, books might help. Friends might help. Jesus Himself is the one that can make you a great parent. You know, if we want to have a successful ministry individually and as a church, a method is not going to work. I wish it would. Don't you, Jim? I wish that I could just read the latest book, follow the principles, and bottom line, boom. It works. (laughs) Uh, Blackaby says, The method is never the key to accomplishing God's purposes. The key is your relationship to a person. When you want to know how God would have you reach your city, ask Him. Then, when He tells you, don't be surprised if you can't find any church that is doing it just that way. Well, why? Because God wants you to know Him and be completely depending on Him. Isn't that good? So let's stop depending on how-to books to fix whatever our problem is in life or whatever needs that we have. Let the Lord Himself give you the keys to unlock those doors in your life. Read the books for the principles, but hear the Lord's counsel for your situation. Amen? So, obedience is costly, but worth it. Amen? And uh, it'll be costly to you. It'll be costly to your family. It'll be costly to us as a church if we obey God. But it'll be worth it if we just depend on Him. Say, you know what, Lord? I mean, you can go to my bookshelf. I got how-to books on youth ministry, on successful small groups in your church, on other things. But I've realized something. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> 